The following Dharma talk was given by Katie Yosha Scott Childress. Yosha is a senior student in the Mountains and Rivers Order, a ceramics artist and a library director in the Hudson Valley. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or to find out more about our various programs, visit us online at cmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Um, Hojin Sensei asked me to give the talk this morning, and I'm really thrilled to see um, Sangha friends who I have seen online a lot in the last three years, and some people who I've seen only online and I've only met in person today. Um, it's pretty amazing. And um, so it's really, it's really good to be here among, um, among friends. And um, I wanted to uh, talk today about the Karaniya Metta Sutta, which is a short uh, sutra that um, we chant, and uh, many Buddhists chant it every day in their lineage. Um, I chant it every day on my way to work um, because... I find it's uh, just a really helpful, succinct reminder of um, of everything that I want to um, aspire to and um, to to do and to be in my day, and um, and so I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the 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 sutra and what it means to me. I should also say, um, so I work in a public library. I'm a library director. And so um, I uh, am responsible for um, reporting to a board of directors. And then um, I have a staff that report to me and then a community to serve with the services of the library. And so um, there's, uh, it's a very um, interactive job in terms of um, uh, seeing people face to face, and um, and that's um, usually where we have a lot of opportunity to practice, um, and usually where we can get in the most trouble is when we're interacting with other human beings at close range. So. Um, this is part of why uh, I, I love this uh, sutra. So I'm going to just um, read through the sutra really quickly because some of you may not have heard it. And I'm not going to chant it. I'm just going to say it. Um, and, but normally we would chant it. Um, and there's, there's um, many translations of this online. Um, I love this one because it's the one I chant. Um, but you know, you can find others too. So it says, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, forsaking none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, 
radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So it's a, it's a really old text. Um, it's said that it dates from the time of the Buddha or thereabouts. Um, it is um, part of the Pali Canon, which are the really early uh, written form of the Buddha's teachings. And um, it's, it's easy to memorize, actually. It, it's, you know, it's a really pretty short little um, sutra. Uh, so that's part of the reason that it's, it is um, memorized and chanted every day. Um, especially in the Theravadan tradition. Um, so it's uh, karaniya, which means this is, this is what should be done, and metta. Metta is translated as loving kindness, friendliness, love, caring. Um, and it's not love in the sense of attachment and romance and that kind of love. It's a much more open, pervasive love. Um, boundless, limit, limitless, and it, it's toward everyone, including ourselves. Um, it's loving kindness, metta is also one of the four immeasurables. And again, we chant for immeasurables every day. May all beings be free of suffering and the root of suffering. May all beings know happiness and the root of happiness. So just holding that wish for everybody to be free of suffering is, um, is a core practice of, of Buddhism. And... Um, so these practices are about developing our capacity to um, understand our own suffering and, um, and hold that and care for it. And, and then by extension, seeing that we do suffer, we do have places where we are sad, unhappy, stuck, fill in the blank, discontented, depressed, anxious, fearful, so many different things, so many, so many states of mind. And as we see these things more clearly in ourselves as they arise, we um, hopefully and with practice develop the capacity to hold that in ourselves but also really to hold everybody else because we know that that's basically what everybody else is going through in different, you know, different ways at different times. We're all in this soup. Um, so, you know, the, the metta is, is bigger than like learning to care about our family and friends. You know, our culture is, is big on that, but this is really extending that much love toward, toward everybody. Um, so um, one of the reasons that the Theravadins in particular chant this all the time is um, that uh, it is um, believed that you can't, actually attain the sort of really deep states of meditation that are um, very healing um, without this metta or loving kindness, um, you know. And so um, there's a, a part in the um, 
the, in the Vasugimaga, which is uh, an old text, um, an Indian text, Buddhist text, and uh, it says, even if if they develop loving kindness for a hundred or a thousand of years in this way, may I be happy and so on, um, absorption would never arise. But if they develop in this way, may I be happy, just as I want to be happy and dread pain, and as I want to live and not to die, so do other beings too. Making oneself the example, then desire for other beings' welfare and happiness arises in them. So this wish that we will be happy is fine, but we won't really be able to completely land in that. And, you know, we talk about bodhicitta, which is this aspiration for enlightenment. But again, it's not just me and and my project. It's about everybody. Everybody. I want everybody to be awakened. I want this whole world to stop suffering. So we're really bringing that into our stillness and, and into our practice. Even though it seems like this totally solitary thing, we're holding everybody. And in the, in the Metta Sutta, you know, that comes out in the line where you say, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. And we actually see, say this three times. Um, just to really drive it home. And um, I like to kind of say it a little differently each time and with a little more feeling each time so that, you know, may all beings be at ease. May all beings be at ease. Really wishing that for everyone. And, you know, when when we come here and, and we... Uh, are taught the beginning instruction for zazen. Um, you know, it's about our posture and our breath and our concentration, and and all of that is definitely the core of our practice. And and this metta and all of these rituals that we're doing, these offerings of incense, these are part of this metta practice practice of, of recognizing that we're energetically connected to each other and to lots of beings that we don't see. And so there's this part of the experience that we are um, bringing to life with these offerings and bows and so forth, but we don't, um, they're, they're operating at a different level. They're operating at a level that we don't necessarily understand, but it's it's very powerful. Um, so I, I recently read uh, Earthland Zenju's book on the shamanic bones of Zen, and um, she she brings out so much of why this liturgy is is so powerful and important, and and why we should take it up wholeheartedly. You know, each bow, each each offer, each bow is an offering, and each offering, um, she says, uh, when one person acknowledges that they see the other, it is a ritual of mirroring, of empowering, and it supports awakening to the reality that there isn't only my life, but also that there is life, there is valuing life. We honor that life in ritual and ceremony. We honor that life in ritual and ceremony when we make offerings. So there's a story about the Karaniya Metta Sutta and how it came about. Um, and some of you may have heard it, but um, I, I didn't know about it till I was preparing this talk. But I really liked it. Um, and it was uh, written down by um, the um, Indian Buddhist uh, writer Buddhaghosa, who also wrote the Visukhimaga, which I just quoted. Um, and he um, 
he said that this, this sutra came about during the rainy season, which is also ongo, which is what we're in now. It's, it's an intensive training period. And traditionally, um, it, in the Buddha's time, during the, the monsoon rainy seasons, uh, they would go and practice intensively in one place, um, like in some place that was sort of sheltered and protected. Otherwise, they were rather nomadic um, because they didn't want to be wandering around in the rain for the season. So they would really buckle down and practice hard during this, this uh, training season, kind of like we're doing now during our, our ongo training period this fall. And so um, there was this group of about 500 monks, and they uh, found this really uh, beautiful grove of trees and this land and it was like perfect for for you know settling down for the rainy season it was in the foothills of the himalayas and um there was a town nearby where they could go and on begging rounds and get fed and in fact the townspeople were super thrilled that they were there and like you know brought them all this food and said oh we'll build you huts so that you know you can be comfortable and you know it, it was all just really great and so um, the the monks installed themselves and then um, each of them was sitting at the base of a tree you know in this beautiful grove this is 500 monks which is like amazing right hard to imagine now and um, and they sit down to like do their really intense practice, and um, there are these um, deities, these these devas, who actually live up in the trees, and um, they um, are you know also really impressed that they've got the monks here, and and they don't want to disturb the monks, so they they don't want to be up in the trees above them because that's kind of awkward, you know, that these people are down below them. So they're like, okay, well, we'll just kind of hang out over to the side here. That's cool. And then, you know, the monks day after day are doing their practice and these, these beings are kind of like, um, how long are they staying? Like, this is kind of awkward. Like, we're, we haven't even been able to, like, go to our homes for, like, weeks and, um, that I, we don't really want them here anymore. And so um, these, these deities um, start causing trouble. And they're like creating this terrible stench and they're, you know, um, causing like limbs to fall down and, and uh, you know, all kinds of like frightening sounds. And I mean, it just becomes horrible for the monks. It's totally, they make the conditions really intolerable for the monks. And so the monks are like, yeah, we got to get out of here. This place is really crazy. And, you know, we're not going to, this is not conducive to our practice. So they, um, they, you know, assemble together and they, you know, march out and they go back to the Buddha to ask him what to do. And... Um, so the Buddha hears the story, and um, he scans the entire landscape of like the entire world with his supernatural powers to see where is a suitable place for them to go. And he says, yep, that place where you were, that's exactly where you need to be. <laughs> and they're like, we have to go back there. And um, he's like, yeah, you, you do. You have to go back there. Um, but... I'm going to offer you something that's going to help. And so he uh, offered them the Karaniya Metta Sutta. And, uh, and so they learned it, they memorized it, and um, they chanted it like all the way back on the, the journey, walking back to the grove. May all beings be at ease. And recognizing that there are so many beings that we don't even know about, right? And, and the monks hadn't really, really recognized that they were receiving something and, and that they weren't, in a sense, in conversation. They were just in a project 
about themselves and their own enlightenment and not, not in a, a conversation. And so, uh, they, you know, the monks approach the grove and they're reciting and they're really meditating on the meaning of, of the Karaniya Metta Sutta. And, um, and then the deities were suddenly filled with warmth and, and affection for the, the monks. And, um, so the deities then appeared in human form and, um, welcomed them and supplied them with food. And then they, um, the, the, you know, they welcomed them to come and practice at the base of their trees. Uh, and then they also then helped them by taking their true forms and creating silence for the monks. Total silence. And so all 500 monks, it is said, um, awakened by the end of the training season because the deities took care of them which is, you know, pretty amazing. So, you know, this idea that we um, protect ourselves, in a sense, by, by protecting others, um, is uh, protecting others from harm. You know, it's a really, it's a powerful teaching. Um, and uh, it resonated with me. Um, another thing that I read in the last year that I really liked was this uh, book by Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche called Healing with Form, Energy, and Light, The Five Elements in Tibetan Shamanism, Tantra, and Dzogchen. And uh, he talks about these elemental spirits. And he says, many cultures that live close to the earth develop an appreciation for the spiritual dimension of the natural elements. They recognize that the elements are not only raw materials, they're also an environment in which deities and higher and lower spirits abide. There are sentient beings living in each element. In the level of the teachings that I'm calling shamanic, the forces that affect us are taken to be outside us rather than in our bodies or minds. According to shamanism, the forces of, nat- of nature are alive. Spirits reside in the rivers, trees, rocks, mountains, waterfalls, fires, planets, <clears throat> sky, valleys, caves, and so on. These spirits are related to the five external elements in the way that our internal experience is related to our bodies. Whatever our philosophy, we normally experience ourselves as residing in our bodies. Similarly, lakes, trees, and rocks are bodies in which spirits reside. In shamanism, these entities are not thought to be mental projections of questionable reality. They are are autonomous and self-directed. Those non-physical beings with whom we have contact can be neutral toward us, or they can obstruct us or support us. So considering the metta sutta in this context, I, um, I, was, uh, I had an experience this spring where um, at the library I work, we um, had a a gazebo installed, like a kind of a big screen pavilion so that we can have programs where people don't have to wear masks and can be safe. And um, so it was a great thing. We got a grant and, you know, very exciting. And um, so we uh, installed it. You know, it's like a big room, a big screened room that we installed out on the lawn next to the building. And uh, there was a, um, you know, a worker, a person, a contractor that I hired to come and, you know, prepare the ground. And um, so, you know, he tore up all the grass and then, you know, dug a big sort of hole, not a hole, but, you know, a big plot. And then, uh, you know, filled it with crushed, with gravel and, and crushed stone and tamped it all down and stuff. And you know, it was very loud and obviously very disruptive of the ground. And 
you know, I was uh, in the building and, you know, like watching him work and I was then thinking about all of these beings, you know, that I learned about, you know, from Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche and that, you know, I don't know how many beings I was displacing with, you know, my gazebo project, which seems so important. And um, so I, um, I decided that, you know, I needed to, to do something to actually, you know, attend to that. And so the next morning I brought some incense into work and um, I uh, told my coworker that, um, you know, that there were probably beings out there that had been displaced and, you know, she's kind of um, flexible person and, and <laughs> I'll say, and she, she agreed. And so um, we uh, brought some incense out there and um, we were just, you know, walking around, kind of circumambulating the whole plot, you know, saying, you know, we're sorry, we're, we're sorry for, for displacing you and for disturbing you. Um, you know, we, we're doing it because we, we want to um, provide something good for this community and, and there will be, you know, a lot of connections that will be made and people will be safe and so there's, there's a lot of good reasons but we recognize that, you know, we're, we've disturbed you and we're so sorry and just, you know, walking and offering this incense and um, the next door neighbor came over and, and he had been another person who had been really kind of vigilant about not wanting to disturb in this process. And I had been in a lot of conversations. He had been worried about his lawn and about this and that. And I was like, okay, we'll do it differently. We'll, you know, have it delivered in a different way. And, you know, just kind of trying to bend over backwards because that's where this guy lives. And I want him to be happy and I want us to have a good relationship. And, and I hadn't been able to actually have a conversation with him since the contractor came. And I was feeling remiss about that, that I should have gone over and said, oh, I'm so sorry, this is so loud and, you know, whatever. And so, you know, we're doing our incense offering and he comes over, he's like, what are you doing? And we said, well, we're offering incense to the beings that we've disturbed here. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, that's great. Thank you, thank you. And it like, it really turned his relationship to this whole project in this really amazing way where then, you know, he came and kind of bent over backwards to say how happy he was about the project. And that, you know, he, he really just thought it was a great thing and was really happy that we were doing it, even though, you know, it meant that there were going to be people maybe wandering into his yard and stuff like that. And he was, it just really, you know, it was kind of an amazing experience um, taking care of these things that we, we can't see, but, you know, they've got to be here, right? I mean, we have all kinds of little beings in our gut that are like doing all this work to keep us alive and make us happy and stuff. And, you know, there's just so many, so many that we can't see. Um, so I, I chant this, this sutra on my way to work because, you know, what we do with our minds and our bodies and our, our mouths really conditions are what happens in our whole day. And so, um, you know, even if like you're doing liturgy and you're doing it kind of half-heartedly, may all beings be at ease, you know, whatever. It's a, that's okay, actually, I think, because just do it, and it gets in there, it gets into your body-mind, and then you, like, you call it up when you need, it comes up when you need it. It's in this miraculous way where suddenly you're like, you know, um, let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, and you're like, hmm, okay, maybe I'm going to not do that thing. 
you know, that I, and whatever it is, you know, it might be, they're talking about the slightest things, and obviously there's bigger stuff that you can do, and, you know, just kind of being careful about what we're doing throughout the day. Um, so, you know, that, that chanting, that liturgy, it's, it's, it's what, you know, what we become in a sense. Um, so it starts out, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and knows the path of peace. And I, I think about that first part, like this is what should be done. And um, like, like who's saying that? You know, um, and I, the way that it helps me to think about it is like that I have these like incredibly wise ancestors, like these bodhisattva, mahasattva ancestors who I have a relationship with. And they've actually like given me some instructions, which is amazing, right? Like, we think as humans, like, we're just, like, mumbling around and, like, really stupid and lame. But, like, wow, somebody gave us an, uh, like, a, an owner's manual, you know, that's, that's pretty awesome. And so, you know, I, I, I really, um, I love that, that, you know, we, ha- we have something like that. Like, this is what should be done, you know, wise, wise ancestors. There are ancestors. That's, that's so cool. Like, they're not, you know, my alcoholic forebears. They're like my really, <laughs> you know, my really wise ancestors. And, and, you know, that's our birthright. That's, that's, that's so cool. Um, so, the, the one who knows the path of peace is also translated as one who wants to gain the path of peace. And I think that both are appropriate. Um, you know, the Buddha is, is sometimes um, said to, to mean peace. And, and, you know, we are fundamentally peaceful. We are. And so we don't, we don't, in a sense, need to gain peace, but we need to gain access to the peace that we already are, right? And so, in a sense, that's, that's what the practice is about. It's not giving us something that we don't already have, but we lose sight of it all the time, pretty much, right? It's just very elusive. And, um, and so, you know, we're sort of uncovering through seeing these different ways that we get caught, different beliefs that we have about ourselves and about others, but mostly about ourselves that are just so unhelpful. And that, that spinning stops us from really accessing and being and seeing the peace that is is there it's 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 the ground um, so um, so the first half of the the sutta is about virtuous behavior and um, it's um, we have uh, the 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 noble eightfold path which also, um, you know, talks about different virtuous behavior like right speech um, and right action and so forth. And then we also have um, moral and ethical precepts that, you know, we adhere to as Buddhists. Um, but the whole reason of them is not to put us into some straitjacket where, you know, we can't do anything fun ever again. But it's more um, that we when we are actually, you know, behaving in a virtuous way, um, we cause less trouble for ourselves and for others. And when we cause less trouble, we're able to actually sit down and um, concentrate and, and, and see 
you know, see more clearly what's going on in our minds. Whereas when we're causing trouble, we're just caught in the, well, if she hadn't said, then I wouldn't have. And, you know, we're like back in the whole drama of whatever we created, which really wasn't necessary if we had remembered, you know, some of the things that are about, that, that are mentioned here. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. Gentle. Like everything we say can be taken in so many different ways. It's so much how we say it, right? Like we've all learned this lesson at least once that if we had just said it a little differently, it comes out, it's received 100% differently. And it's not acting like you energetically have to be gentle. It's, you know, seeing that you have another real human being in front of you, be gentle. Which I know um, living in the city, I guess, can be more challenging maybe. I, I don't know. Um, there's a lot, of, um, a lot of people here sharing a small space. So uh, I live up in Kingston, which is a very small city. Um, near the monastery, um, but uh, the other way that this is translated uh, is about being um, capable, because that word able is kind of um, loaded, so let them be capable. Um, and I think of that in terms of just um, basically wanting to be helpful and, and um, you know, not being like, oh, I can't do that. You know, like, sure, I'll, I'll help out. And, and the other way that the gentle in speech gets translated as, is as um, easy to talk to. What a nice quality, right? That there, there's somebody who's just easy to talk to. And um, so we, you know, we can, we can all, like, reflect on how, how that is when, when we're manifesting that for somebody. Um, and then it says, um, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. And wow, that's like, there's so much in there, right? That Again, if, if we could really be that way, we really wouldn't cause trouble. Um, you know, the, the, the not proud or demanding in nature and the humble and not conceited, like that's the source of so many problems in our world. So many problems right there. Um, one of the parts of that that I have kind of grappled with over time is the meaning of unburdened with duties, right? Because um, I think we all feel maybe kind of burdened with duties. Like, I definitely do feel like I've got a lot on my plate. And so um, one, reason, one way that I've interpreted that is that even if we have lots of responsibilities to you know, hold them in a way that's kind of holding them lightly rather than being like, oh my God, I'm so stressed out. I, oh, you have no idea how much I have going on, right? Just being like, yeah, it's okay, you know? Um, and, and like not holding all of our, our stuff that we have to do as this huge weight, this burden, because it does, it feels burdensome to me at least. Um, but then, you know, in another kind of interpretation of this, um, I read that, you know, it actually does mean less duties, right? And that's really, um, that's hard for me and my work ethic to be like, what? Less duties? Like, we're supposed to take on everything, aren't we? But, um, 
there, I think that this is pointing to um, simplifying our lives in certain ways. Um, you know, we have to simplify our lives in order to make room for this practice. And, you know, otherwise we can, we always have a to-do list that is endlessly long. And if we're, if we think that that is more important, then we will not end up here, you know, here where we are and also practicing, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, really looking at, like, what, what am I filling up my life with? It, and is it totally necessary? And what, what is really important? Because um, we do have to make space. We have to make space for this. It, it's a spacious practice, right? It's, it, it, it unfolds in, in time. So I, I grapple with this because I am a person who overloads my, my day with too many things habitually. And I'm like, then this, and then this, and then this, and this, and then just one thing after another, and, you know, without really making a lot of space. Um, I saw my daughter yesterday, and um, we had, uh, actually, she came for the half-day set, and we had some lunch, and he's like, I'm going to go take a nap now. I'll see you later, you know. She's somebody who knows how to cultivate space. He's like, yeah, there's nothing more important right now than rest, right? So I have to learn a little bit more about that. Um, so let let them not do the slightest thing that the, the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety all these. So we all have to like think about that. Like, who are the wise ones who would reprove us? And you know, again, we don't want to like into a little box where we can't do anything. Like, this is a liberative practice. We're, freeing us and you know we can't just be like I don't want to do anything that the wise are going to later reprove because then we won't do anything like we have to step forward and do something take a chance and um, so how do we how do we do that how do we do that how are we creating these conditions for deep meditation and finding peace Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, forsaking none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Everyone is included. Everyone those that can't even be seen, we're wishing them well. And then those who are really difficult, we, out, we have to wish them well, right? So we think about like who's one of the most difficult people for us to wish well. And I'll, I'll say Vladimir Putin right now. Very hard for me to send him love and kindness and well wishes, right? But we have to find, we have to find that for everybody. He's, he's also coming from a place of suffering and causing immeasurable suffering. Let none deceive another nor, or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. And again, you know, like when our former president got COVID, you know, some of us are like, <laughs> you know, not wishing him to get healthy again, right? And, um, you know, this is really cautioning us about 
that kind of, of way of being. Um, even he, even he, we should hope, will awaken and, and be free. Could cause so much good in the world and so much less harm. Um, but, yeah. And I also think about that, like, you know, you see a big spider and, you know, any being living in any state and, um, you know, despising any, anything. It's, um, it's just, that's, that's our minds, you know, that's a, that, that giant hairy spider is just a little being, like, going about its day. And we're like, oh, God, gross, right? That's just our minds. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not inherently so. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, <clears throat> you know, when I became a parent, I, I think I had a sense of this that developed more in me that, um, it, you know, it seems really obvious that we all, um, <laughs> that we were all born and came from a parent or whatever, but um, I don't know, it's, it's abstract, I would say, until you actually... <laughs> <laughs> another human being come out of your body and then you're like, holy crap, this is a miracle. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and that love that is just so immense, so immense, um, that, um, you know, especially, you know, somebody that you have trouble with, um, trying to imagine them as a child, right? And, um, and then the, the confusion and the trauma and the different things that have happened that have brought them to where they are now. And they may be somebody who you, you know, think is very disagreeable and objectively, you know, other people may think they're disagreeable, but, you know, really being able to, like, to, to see that, you know, that, that person who, you know, has had all kinds of stuff that we don't even know about that's happened and that, and, and there they are and they're, that now they're showing up as this disagreeable person and, you know, not, to, not taking it personally, being like, wow, I, I feel for you, you know, I, I really, I feel for you because I too have had trauma. I too have had painful things that have shaped me, you know. Um, So radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. And this part I relate to in, in more of a tantric way where, you know, energetically trying to, um, to radiate, right, this sense of, 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 of kindness and, and, um, and openness and, and, uh, and friendliness and whatever it is, like, as far in every direction as you can possibly imagine, right? And, and it, it's like, it's just, it's an energy. It's, it's not a thing, but, you know, being able to, to contact it and then, you know, imaginatively really send it in every direction is, um, you know, it's it's again it's a it's a state that that we're creating um, in our own bodies, but then we're touching so many other people through it and beings beings that we don't see. 
um, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. So we can practice loving kindness wherever we are, all the time. And, you know, we don't have to be sitting in the zazen posture. We can be lying in bed or, you know, riding on the subway or whatever, and just bringing, again, this energetic field of may all beings be at ease, including this being, all, all beings be free of anxiety, fear, stress. May they be at ease. And, you know, the, the sublime abiding, I think, is referring to these deeper meditation states. Um, but I think it's also talking about how we're showing up in the world, um, you know, in our interactions with others. And that, you know, when we are really practicing this, this, this loving kindness, this caring, our interactions can become sublime. You know, that just making contact, making eye contact, um, having a conversation, it's, um, it, can be, it can be kind of epic when, when we really are, you know, receptive to, to another person that's in front of us. Um, yeah, just touching touching that sublime by holding, holding someone else. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So right view is, is the foundation of our practice. And holding a, a fixed view is... is holding a view of a separate self and of others as separate. That as soon as we um, have this idea that there are others, then there's also a self and, and we're separate. And, um, and then things also seem solid and unmanageable. Um, the Heart Sutra is like this really compact pith version of of right view form is exactly emptiness emptiness is exactly form that's right view (laughs) so that's the the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision is seeing that right and that the heart sutra is given to us by avalokiteshvara the um, bodhisattva of compassion hears all the cries of the world and tells us form is exactly emptiness. Emptiness is exactly form. That's what we are. So creating this, this self moment after moment, we sit down and we get quiet so we can see this. We can really investigate what is this? What is this? that keeps arising. Um, and the, this, this meta practice helps us to loosen our sense desires, um, not identifying so much with our craving and um, our kind of self-reifying thoughts and our emotions um, because we're we're held, we're holding and we're held. We're holding ourselves, we're holding others. And so we're not quite so fixated on what do I want, what do I need, who am I, those kinds of things. Um, Master Hongzhi said, we all have the clear, wondrously bright field from the beginning. Many lifetimes of misunderstanding come only from distrust, hindrance, and screens of confusion 
that we create in a scenario of isolation. So we're developing faith in this clear, bright field that we already possess. And in our practice, we're attending to these many lifetimes of misunderstanding that we create in a scenario of isolation. We have this scenario that we're isolated, that we're, we're alone. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a crazy thing, right? Like, we, we can't do anything without other people supporting us. Like, we, our bodies are fed by food. We don't see any of the people who are growing that food and getting it to us. Like, we're so surrounded and so supported And then we get into this thing of, I'm so alone. And, you know, it's it's just upside down. We're we're so connected. So these relationships that we're in with people who are close to us, family, co-workers, um, Sangha even, um, this, this can really be where the, the rubber meets the road with our practice, where we really have to attend to um, this loving-kindness practice. Because in a sense, it can be easy to be like, may all beings be at ease. I love you all. Except, no, die. come on, man. This person is always getting on my nerves because, you know, that's how people who are close to us, that's who bothers us, is people who are really at close range. And that's, that's we have to attend to that to, because that's not actually coming from them. It's us. And so, um, again, you know, whatever it is that is causing that that misalignment between you know me and somebody else i i have to attend 100% to what i'm bringing into that i'm never going to change anybody out there but i can 100% deal with what is going on here and and that that loving kindness practice that you know, seeing that usually when people are behaving in a way that is not peaceful, not caring, they're stressed, right? They're reacting to whatever, you know, is, is going on with them. And that's why they're bringing that to you. And so, you know, just being like that not... Uh, beyond non-reactive to to them, but also really going that extra, you know, uh, mile and being like, I I really want you to be well. Like I I care about you, and you know, those those difficult people are you know the bodhisattvas in our in our lives that you know are are here to. Help us, help us wake up, help us practice more um, so that we're not born again into this world of conflict and of um, isolation, this scenario of isolation, loneliness that we create. We create it in our mind. It's not real. But we create it over and again, over again. We're born back into that. So this, this loving kindness, this Karaniya Metta Sutta is what should be done by each of us who wants to, to walk this path of peace. So let's, I hope we can all, um, hold Hold that, hold each other in our hearts and minds, um, and then fail and fail 
and come back and try again. That, that's, that's my practice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about the Zen Center of New York City's programs, retreats and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org slash zcnyc.